to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Providence means that continuous activity of God whereby He makes all the events of the physical, mental, and moral realms work out for His purpose. To be sure, evil has entered the universe, but it is not allowed to thwart God's original and holy purpose. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapters 37 through 38 in a message titled, Joseph, His Brothers, and Providence. Now here's Pastor Brian. He said, well, the voice is Jacob's, but the skin is Esau's. And so Jacob deceived Isaac with a goat, and now the sons of Jacob are deceiving him with the blood of a goat. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So Joseph is now a slave in Egypt. At 17 years old, he's ripped out of his home, taken away from his family, betrayed by his own brothers, and now at this tender age, he finds himself in this situation there. And we'll pick up Joseph's story, as I said, in chapter 39. But just to get kind of a personal view of the character of some of the men that sold him, the story now turns to Judah. And Judah, you remember, was the one that suggested that Joseph be sold to the Ishmaelites. And we're going to see that all of these brothers of Joseph's were men of dubious character. And so it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son and called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and called his name Onan. She conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chezeb when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Interesting. And Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, he killed him also. So, wow, we have two men in the 
family, this you know, chosen family, sons of Judah, but they were wicked and the Lord slew them. Now, what do we make of that? Does, does that happen today? It doesn't happen today. It happened then because remember, these people were in this very tight covenant relationship with God and God's dealings with them were very strict in relation to the covenant. Now, Judah, even though at this point it doesn't appear that that would be the case, Judah is going to be the one through whom the Messiah is going to come. Remember, Jesus is referred to in Revelation chapter 5 as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And of course, David came from Judah. But the sons of Judah, Er, who was his firstborn, who would have been the heir, was a wicked man, So he's not going to be able to be the ancestor of the Messiah. And because of his wickedness, whatever it was, God slew him. And then Onan was obviously a selfish man because he wouldn't raise up, which was the obligation of the brother to raise up a child for his dead brother. And rather than, you know, going ahead and and impregnating Tamar and because of his refusal to raise up because of his selfishness, God slew him for that as well. Now, as we go on, it says, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah sets her aside. He's not about to give his third son. He's already lost two in regard to Tamar. So he says, Sheila was too young at this point, but he says, you know, let's wait till he grows up and then he can be your husband. So Tamar submitted to that. She didn't have much choice, really. Now, in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And this is the mother of these three sons. We don't know her name. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep herders or sheep shearers at Timnah he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, so now many years have passed. It was told Tamar saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So he took, or she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him as a wife. So, in other words, Judah reneged on his promise, and now he's got Tamar in a perpetual state of, you know, limbo. She can't, he's not going to give Sheila to marry her. He's not giving her freedom to go and resume a life, you know, with another possibility. So she's in this predicament here where Judah is dealing falsely with her. And so, verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come in to you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? So we see that, you know, these are problemed people, as I think you will agree. (laughs) 
One is pretending to be a prostitute. The other is soliciting a prostitute. And, and these are people that are part of the chosen family. I mean, you know, this is, this is a problem. But, you know, God's had to work historically with sinners. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what he's got. And it is interesting, though, that in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, there are four women mentioned in that genealogy. And interestingly, every one of them would be really marked as sinners. There's Tamar. She's the first one mentioned. Then there's Rahab, who we know from Joshua was a harlot. And then there's Ruth. Now, Ruth is the only one that wouldn't have, you know, that kind of a spot or stain upon her. She was a woman of godly character, but but she was a Moabite. So she was outside of the covenant. And then also, finally, Bathsheba. So interesting that out of all of the names in the genealogy, only four women are listed, and those are the four women. Tamar is the first one. And, of course, there's a list of dozens of men. And as you look at the genealogies of Jesus, what you realize, again, is uh, the Lord came into the world to save sinners because the people who brought him into the world were themselves sinners as well. And so we see that very clearly here as we look at this. So he turns aside, you know, let me come into you. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, "Uh, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend Adullam to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of the place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said, there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed. For I sent the young goat and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months later. After Judah, three months after that, Judah was told saying, Tamar, Your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, listen to this, bring her out and let her be burned. So man, look at the ruthlessness here. Now, he hears that, that Tamar has played the harlot. She's to be burned. What about him soliciting a harlot? You see the, the double standard that, you know, has historically been there even to this very day. You know, there seems to be a double standard between what men are allowed to do and what women are allowed to do in this particular area. You know, for a man to go out on his wife, oh, well, you know, that's something to boast about. For a woman to go out on her husband, oh, that's a dreadful and shameful thing. Of course, both of them are dreadful and shameful. 
But again, we just see that this double standard isn't anything new. It's been around from the early days of human history. So Judah wants to have her burned. And when she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, please determine whose these are. The signet and cord and staff. Ooh, Judah was busted big time. (laughs) So Judah acknowledged them and said, she has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Sheila, my son, and he never knew her again. So it was wrong what Tamar did. It was akin to what we've seen happening in the lives of other previously. Not trusting God, but instead taking matters into her own hands and trying to, you know, vindicate herself rather than trusting the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. You see, she's going to have two sons, as we're going to read in a moment. And Perez is going to be the one through whom the messianic line is going to carry on. So, of course, this all already had to happen before the world was ever created. And you can be sure that God had a way to accomplish it where he didn't need people to revert to sin and to scheming and plotting and deceiving to get it all done. But again, this is so often what we revert to even as God's people. When we're waiting and the Lord doesn't seem to be moving, he doesn't seem to be acting, the big temptation comes for us to jump in and try to make it happen ourselves. And and this is, we, we see this again over and over here as we go through the lives of these different people. And so, verse 27, now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that, the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly and she said, how did you break through? This breach be upon you, therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. And so, Perez will be the one. As we look in the genealogies, Perez is the name that appears there. So chapter 38, I think, does a couple of things. It reveals to us, again, the character of the, these men that we're dealing with, the ones who sent Joseph into slavery. But it also shows how God overrules when men are not cooperating, God's plan is still going to be accomplished. And with Judah's unjust dealings with Tamar, God overrules in all of that, and he he allows certain things to happen, and he providentially brings about his ultimate purpose through those things. And that's the thing that I want to move toward as we wrap things up this evening. 
talking for a few minutes about providence, the providence of God. Now, one commentator had this to say. I thought it was excellent. He said, it was God's intention already revealed to Abraham to bring the chosen family under foreign dominion until the iniquity of the Amorites should be full and Canaan ripe for possession. So the train of events to lead Israel into Egypt is set in motion through the rivalries and predicaments of the 12 brothers under the hand of God. The story is a classic example of divine providence. So when we talk about providence, what are we talking about? And that, we use that term sometimes. Previous generations have used it sometimes more than we do. It's interesting, if you read in the writings of the, the founding fathers of this country, many of them were not Christians in the sense that we think of Christians, you know, biblical Christians, born-again Christians. They were believers in God. They were theists. And they spoke much about God's providential rule over things. And they believed that in God's providence, he had brought about the development or the birth of of this nation. And um, so they would sometimes even substitute providence for God. Rather than use even a reference to God, they would just simply speak of providence. Providence means that continuous activity of God whereby he makes all the events of the physical, mental, and moral realms work out for his purpose. And this purpose is nothing short of the original design of God in creation. To be sure, evil has entered the universe, but it is not allowed to thwart God's original, benevolent, wise, and holy purpose. So you see, providence is God overruling all of men's plots and schemes and intentions, overruling even their evil activities to ultimately and finally bring about his will. And with Joseph, providence is seen amazingly in the life of Joseph. Because as we have seen, his brothers were evil men. His brothers hated him. All of their intentions toward him were purely evil. But God had a plan to save Israel from a famine that he knew was going to come. And he's going to save them by getting Joseph to Egypt And so he allows his evil brothers to plot against him and to sell him into slavery. And he uses all of that to fulfill ultimately his purpose. And as we, I hate to jump to the end of the story, but we've got a ways to go to get through it. But at at the end, when it's all finally said and done, and his brothers are petrified of Joseph, finally thinking, okay, now that our father is dead. He's going to kill us. He's going to take vengeance on us. He's going to pay us back for what he, for what we did to him all those years ago. 
and they come groveling before Joseph, Joseph says, look, am I in the place of God? He said, you, you did indeed intend it for evil, but God meant it for good. He said, I will not extract any vengeance on you because I realize that the hand of God was in it all. And so we see that providence with Joseph. We see later when we come to the New Testament in the book of Acts, Peter, you know, he says essentially the same thing in regard to Jesus when he's talking to the very men that crucified him. He said, you've taken by wicked hands, you've crucified and slain, but this all happened according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So you see, this is what providence is. God, he brings all of these circumstances together that seem unrelated or seem to not at all be able to fit into the plan, but he brings it all together to work out his glorious purposes. Now, to me, this is one of the mind-boggling things about God. You know, how that he can do that is that's part of the mystery of omniscience. I don't, I don't understand that. But that is certainly what the scriptures teach. Now, with providence, it's not just something that was experienced in the life of Joseph or in, you know, those that we're reading about here in the pages of scripture. It's something that we experience as well. It's something that occurs quite, I think, uh, frequently in our lives. And God providentially works to bring us together circumstances beyond our control that put us in the right place at the right time in the right relationships. That's providence. It was providence that I decided with a few friends to go to a Bible study on New Year's Day in 1980 when we didn't think that there was even a Bible study that we could go to, but we made a few phone calls. We found out there was a Bible study in Huntington Harbor and we decided to go and it was providence because when I walked in that Bible study, a really pretty girl was walking out of it and I saw her and I thought, why is she leaving? I just got here. (laughs) But she left. (laughs) But you know, I remembered what she looked like. She was really cute. And two weeks later, when I went back to the Bible study, she was there again. And now she's my wife. But, you know, that was a providential encounter. And so, you see, these are the things, not just in the life of Joseph, not just with the Lord and God's great plan of salvation, but in our lives, personally, individually, God's hand working providentially. And this is part of the thrill, the excitement, the adventure of the Christian life to just sort of stand back and see what the Lord will do. It's a great thing. It's a great life. So we'll get further into the life of Joseph in our next study. For the month of 
December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Stalls. Do you fight an internal hidden battle all alone? Or do you hear the quiet shaming of your own inner thoughts over past actions and regrets? If you answered yes to these questions, then you are not alone at all. In his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sauls shares about God's counter voice against the nagging voice of silent inner shaming. You'll also discover the secret of contentment, even in the face of guilt and regret, because God wants you to notice that He notices you. Your regrets, hurts, and fears don't have to define who you are, because in the hands of God, they are being repurposed as instruments that are shaping you into who He has destined you to become. The book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.